Welcome. Thank you for joining us here on the Construction Leaders Podcast presented by CMA, where each episode will provide interviews with diverse perspectives, as well as trends that are affecting the construction and project management industry and beyond. You'll hear us cover a variety of topics such as the economy, ethics, leadership, innovation, diversity, equity, and inclusion, as well as lessons learned. On behalf of CMA, I'm your host, Nick Soto, alongside my colleague, Carly Trout. Our guest today is Ken Simonson from the Associated General Contractors of America. Ken has been the chief economist at AGC since 2001. His weekly summary of economic news relevant to construction, the Data Digest, goes to 47,000 subscribers. He was the 2012-2013 president of the National Association for Business Economics, which is the professional organization for individuals who use economics in their work. And currently, he serves as an appointed member of the Census Scientific Advisory Committee and the Bureau of Labor Statistics Data Users Advisory Committee. Ken has 40 years of experience analyzing, advocating, and communicating about economic and tax issues. He earned a BA in economics from the University of Chicago and an MA in economics from Northwestern University. So welcome, Ken. We're really glad that you could join us today to share your experience and your insights. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks, Carly. It's good to be back with you, at least by voice. Great. So let's kick off the podcast um, with the first question here um, and just talk a little bit about the current market for construction. How would you describe the current market and that outlook for the rest of 2022? Well, the current market looks very hot and the outlook looks very uncertain. Uh, The uh, AGC does a survey every year of what our members expect uh, in the coming year. We released the latest version on January 12th and overwhelmingly members were optimistic about the volume of projects available to bid on. We asked about 17 different project categories and for 15 out of the 17, more members expect the market to be expanding than the shrinking. The only negative ones, and it was by a fairly small margin, was private office and retail. They were especially optimistic about infrastructure categories such as bridge, highway, other transportation, water and sewer, but also many largely private or largely building categories. And I frankly share that optimism. Uh, But as I said, uh, the outlook is highly uncertain. The the war in Ukraine, uh, the uh, huge run up in fuel prices, and now uh, questions about availability of certain metals uh, just uh, adds to the question about how much will projects cost? How long will they take to finish? That's that's actually a really good question. I think that's very timely with what's going on and those rising gas prices. Uh, along with supply chain, Ken. Uh, I'm glad to hear that it's still optimistic, but with with those surging gas prices, you know, little known fact is everyone thinks naturally it's, oh, it's the gas of the car that is costing us a lot more. And then you go into it and it's really put into a lot of the things that we use on an everyday project. So uh, what, you know, between diesel fuel and the plastics and the thing, the metals and things that are used, uh, you know, how can we expect that, the project cost is going to, you know, stay down and, you know, this infrastructure bill that got approved, all that money is tied up, you know, we got, you know, a trillion dollars to spend on infrastructure, but now the gas prices is going up. How's it going to affect the spending of the projects that were expected to be developed out of that? Great question, Nick. Uh, You're right that construction is more vulnerable than other sectors to 
run-ups in fuel costs. That uh, construction firms use a great deal of fuel for their own trucks, and obviously their employees with all those pickup trucks, maybe diesel or gas-powered, but either way, uh, a lot of fuel goes into those, uh, but also into construction equipment for earth moving, for lifting things. And then the thousands of deliveries of uh, equipment and materials to a job site and the hauling away of dirt and debris and equipment at the end of the job, all of those truck movements are using a lot of fuel and contractors are paying directly for it or through fuel surcharges that have come back with a vengeance lately. And then finally, the materials themselves require a lot of energy, often petroleum-based, uh, to mine, to crush or mix and uh, manufacture and to deliver. Um, so for all those reasons, I do expect the cost of construction inputs to go up a lot. Whether contractors are able to pass that through in their bid prices remains to be seen. And uh, so I think until they're able to, they're going to be squeezed by these rising fuel prices. That's great. And, uh, you know, this is, we're talking about an industry that has been doing well over the past few years, even through the pandemic, we've had, uh, you know, more projects than there are labor to actually uh, do these projects that are being uh, proposed here. Back in, uh, I can recall in the mid-2000s that uh, through the recession, we were thinking how uh, how the construction industry was struggling. We're not seeing that now, but what we're seeing now is issues with labor and uh, with these rising costs, uh, there's talks of recession. Um, how do you think those kinds of things will impact uh, the future of the construction industry? Well, the labor supply situation seems to be a challenge for almost every industry, but construction has some special challenges. Uh, first of all, uh, the coronavirus, while it's receding at the moment, I can't say the danger is past, uh, that uh, we're hearing about more and more people having so-called long-haul COVID, meaning uh, recurrent, persistent, or even new symptoms, people who may not have realized at the time they were infected or thought they had a very mild case. And while uh, I may be able to work through a day where I'm not feeling at full strength, because I work at a desk, I work from home some of the time, somebody who has to be outside doing hard physical labor all day long, uh, it may be much more of a game stopper. So I think construction firms may have a harder time fielding a full healthy workforce because there's an ongoing survey of Facebook users. Now that's not a scientific sample, uh, but a very large one. And the results have been very consistent that people, are, uh, respondents who say that they work in construction have a much lower vaccination rate uh, than people in other occupations. So the implication is uh, that they're much more likely to have contracted COVID or be at risk for it going forward. But even apart from that, the construction industry has seen rapidly rising wage costs, and yet they're not keeping up with the overall private sector. Uh, and so I think it's going to be harder to recruit new workers. And uh, that will uh, mean that the industry is either going to have to boost pay even more, uh, or they're going to be paying even more for overtime, uh, hopefully investing more in software to allow better scheduling and knowing exactly what skill level and uh, mix of employees they need on a given day, and investing in ways of reducing the number of workers on site or the skill level of the workers that they do have on site. Things like uh, uh, robots, uh, drones, 3D printers, uh, virtual or augmented reality to bring up the skills of new workers. 
and then also exploring more intensively ways of producing things off-site and just uh, putting them together on the site. Now, since since we mentioned the pandemic, obviously it's had a huge impact on construction over the past two years. How long do you think that it will have an impact on construction? How long do you think that la- impact will last? Well, the the impacts uh, show up in, in many different ways. Uh, the figures on construction employment uh, as of February, two years after the pre-pandemic peak, show that residential construction employment is way above where it was. It's been uh, one of the most successful sectors in the economy and bouncing back because as soon as uh, people were allowed to uh, go out and look at new homes or existing homes, or uh, they called in uh, remodelers uh, to add or uh, remodel the homes they were in, we've had a continuous growth in demand for construction workers on that side. The non-residential side was much slower coming back. Employment basically stalled uh, until late 2021. But in the last four months of 2021 and now into 2022, we've seen rapid growth in employment in construction on the non-residential side, although it's still below where it was two years ago. Uh, In fact, uh, the industry probably would have hired even more workers if they'd been able to get them. But Uh, Again, impacts from coronavirus mean uh, there may be fewer people who are able to do that heavy outdoor construction work, fewer people willing to uh, commit to showing up at a job site earlier than I like to get up in the morning and staying out there all day (laughs) when there are jobs that they can do remotely or on a hybrid basis and perhaps with flexible hours. And then also uh, with the wages having risen so much in historically low paying jobs, like fast food or warehouse hospitality, uh, that uh, many people uh, who would have gone to construction because of the high pay now say, wait, that differential isn't enough to attract me. So those are all ways in which the pandemic is still affecting construction. And then on the materials of uh, price and availability, the supply chain, uh, we're sure still seeing effects of uh, the uh, reduced production of many items, the surging demand for some items, particularly consumer-related goods, and uh, the bottlenecks in the supply chain from the ports through the uh, rail lines and uh, trucking availability. And I think that the supply chain bottlenecks, unfortunately, are likely to last all year. Now, do you have a crystal ball and you can tell us that that's probably just this year, or you think that maybe lasts longer than just this year? If I had a crystal ball, I wouldn't be sharing it with folks. I'd be out making lots more money. Uh, No, uh, you know, a a couple of months ago, I I was reading these optimistic uh, reports or guesses that uh, the supply chain would clear up. Uh, That's gone away. Uh, Just uh, in mid-March, the Wall Street Journal had an article running down how a dozen different uh, consumer goods producers were all saying, oh, the supply chain is just as bad as it was, or it's going to stay bad all year. I think that's probably true for uh, many construction inputs too. And go back to the war in Ukraine, uh, one of the consequences has been uh, reduced uh, uh, production and also uh, really disrupted shipping, not just out of the Black Sea, but uh, ships in many places that would have been bringing uh, either goods, uh, inputs to produce the goods for construction uh, to the U.S. or to other places where uh, they would move on. So I think we really have a, a wild card there that could affect uh, supply chain even more. 
despite being in what we call an incurable optimist, um, do you have some worries about uh, upcoming recession or about rising interest rates? I really don't. I think we're in much better shape as an economy than we were going into the last recession in 2008, when uh, housing had been grossly overbuilt, credit extended to people who couldn't handle it. And uh, instead, we still have a housing deficit here. We need a lot more home building, and, and I think we'll get it if we can get the materials at an affordable price. Uh, interest rates are at rock bottom. Yes, they've moved up a little bit in the last few months, but uh, certainly uh, not taking off uh, to uh, anything that uh, would squeeze a lot of people out of the market or cause a lot of investors or businesses to pull back. Uh, there's been a huge amount of federal money going to state and local governments, to businesses, to households. And while that is being pared back, it's not enough to cause a recession. So I'm still an optimist. I love it. Uh, at this time, uh, I think you know, we need a little bit more of that optimistic outlook. So we appreciate that. So Ken, I have a, little, a question about the, uh, uh, you know, we've heard so much about infrastructure investment and the jobs act. Um, has that increased funding started to make a difference? Um, and if not, when do you anticipate that it will? Yeah, the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act passed in November, and it really is historic. Uh, by most counts, about $1.2 trillion of money, uh, supposedly over a five-year period. Uh, but uh, there are some strings attached. First of all, Congress did not finish up work on an appropriations bill that they have to do each year. It should have been done by October 1st because it covers federal spending up through September 30th. Finally got to it in mid-March, which has uh, finally given the agencies the actual money to pass out for the remainder of this year. Uh, but that five and a half month delay means that uh, a lot of that money isn't flowing as quickly as it should have. Uh, in addition, there are many categories of spending for which there isn't a precedent. There isn't a federal mechanism for passing the money out. And a lot of so-called discretionary funding where states or specific local agencies will have to come up with applications and the feds have to say what needs to be in the applications and how they're going to rate those in order to uh, make the actual project awards. And then uh, once that money uh, hits the state or the local agency, then they have their own process for putting it out for bid, for choosing a winner. And so for the most part, we're still many months away from seeing actual uh, contractors get uh, the approval to go ahead and hire staff and buy the materials. So uh, the series that I look at most often regarding spending is called Value Put in Place. The Census Bureau puts this up uh, on the first business day of each month. And uh, I think it'll be a long time before the spending is put in place for the infrastructure bill. Fortunately, there are other sources of funding that are already in place. As I said, the federal government uh, put a huge amount of money into the uh, state and local coffers. In addition, state and local budgets have been uh, in remarkably good shape as uh, so many forms of income have gone up. Uh, house prices certainly have shot up and that in turn feeds into the property tax base that supports local governments and school districts. 
So I think that we will see an increase in both public spending and in private spending this year, uh, even in the absence of seeing immediate impact from the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act. Now, do you think that, uh, you know, we're hearing, you know, $1.1 trillion given to infrastructure uh, and do you really think that that's going to make a difference in the infrastructure of this country? I mean, we know we talk about how much a bridge costs to build and you're talking hundreds of millions of dollars just right there on one bridge. How much can $1.1 trillion do for this country? Oh, I think $1.1 or $1.2 trillion, that's real money still in today's economy. Uh, now, uh, as I said, that that's a five-year total and the reality is uh, the actual spending will take uh, even longer. And unfortunately, uh, as we see this run up in costs for fuel, for metals, for other things, uh, that will eat into the number of projects, the number of miles or uh, uh, whatever unit measure you have. Uh, but nevertheless, uh, it's a huge increase over what this country has been spending. You're right that uh, projects do cost a lot these days, and it's not going to be enough to take care of all the needs. I think uh, particularly we're seeing uh, the need to upgrade water systems that may be a century old in many cities. Uh, we're going to need to spend more on resiliency as we see uh, more storms, more wildfires, and so forth. So uh, there's going to be a lot to be done, but I don't want to discount the value of $1.2 trillion. Yeah. I'd be yes. glad to have that in my bank account. Anytime. No, no, I wasn't trying to discount it, but I think that there's a lot of the general public hear that as a massive amount of money. And us in the industry kind of know that, that you know, to upgrade one of those water systems, you're talking, you know, four or $500,000 to renovate those kinds of things. And that, that can be, uh, can tend to eat up that trillion dollars pretty quickly if you go by state and see what's going on in Pittsburgh and, and their bridge system, you know, so... A lot of these things need to be in consideration, and I think this this is a, a good start to everything. So I wanted to make sure and hear your perspective on the way that you feel like that's going to impact the infrastructure of this country. So it's good to oh, hear. Uh, agreed. I, I call it a very good start, but <laughs> we will need more. Yeah, absolutely. We talked a little bit about gas prices. Um, can you elaborate on some of um other material costs and things, prices increasing and how that's affecting construction? Yeah, we've really seen uh, quite a roller coaster on prices in the last two years. Uh, the problem started right at the beginning of the pandemic when uh, plants in China and Northern Italy shut down. And uh, I started to learn that we get things like elevators or elevator parts from Northern Italy. And uh, so that's oh, caused delays in projects. Uh, run up in, in many different prices that I wasn't aware of where things came from or how uh, really the just-in-time system uh, that has evolved over the last couple of decades for so many items has really uh, uh, meant that as soon as a problem crops up in one part of the world, it's likely to affect uh, many parts of the supply chain and many industries that you wouldn't think would be affected. And so we're still seeing uh, those impacts. Most recently, we saw steel prices come down dramatically at the uh, producer level. The hot rolled coil price uh, dropped from an all-time high last September until early February. But now with the war in Ukraine, cutting off supplies of steel and pig iron and scrap, 
from Russia, from Ukraine, uh, affecting the shipping from the whole region. Uh, we've seen those prices uh, do a U-turn or really a V-turn, shooting back up again. And then there are more uh, exotic or uh, rarer uh, metals that, again, have been affected by that region. So I'm thinking of uh, nickel, not a rare metal, but a significant part of that uh, production comes out of Russia. And uh, that's a vital component for producing lithium ion batteries that are showing up, not just in vehicles, but uh, it's certainly important that people are buying, say, a, a, an F-150 truck, but also showing up in construction equipment, even so-called smart tools. So uh, metals going up, uh, the big freeze in Texas a year ago, uh, caused a shutdown of all the plants that produce uh, the resins for many construction plastics. And so I'm still hearing about uh, shortages and high prices for uh, plastic pipe or insulation or uh, vapor barriers, uh, geotextiles, and so forth. So you're saying it's not a good idea to start building a deck right now? Well, interestingly, lumber, uh, if, if you were going to build a wood deck, uh, th those prices have, have been swinging both up and down a great deal. They're certainly a lot higher uh, than they were before the pandemic, a lot higher than they were a few months ago, uh, but a, a good deal lower than they were at the peak uh, at the end of last summer. So uh, I wouldn't predict uh when to do construction, uh, but I would say owners who are trying to time it, uh, they're, they're taking a big risk. And uh, in general, I'd say, yeah, get your project teed up, whether it's a, a deck for your house or your restaurant, or it's a whole highway interchange. Uh, don't think that you'll necessarily be better off uh, waiting a year and having prices come down. My crystal ball is totally clouded over as to when those prices will come down. So I would say, uh, get started as soon as possible, uh, but be prepared to wait. <laughs> it sounds like a, sorry, Nick, it sounds like yeah. a moving target to me. <laughs> yeah, it sounds Definitely. like good advice. Uh, so Ken, you've been, you've given us tremendous insight and good optimism. Any closing thoughts you might have for uh, our listeners? Yeah, I, I think uh, the most important lesson I've been hearing over the past two years is uh, just communicate, make sure that you are hearing as soon as possible from your supplier and communicating that information to the owner, to the fabricator, to the subcontractor, and uh, not just pass along the dear valued customer letter, although I benefit from seeing those and hearing exactly what materials are going up when, uh, but uh, discuss, is there a way to act on this? Uh, can we go ahead and buy materials sooner than we would have so that we uh, are assured of being uh, either uh, having a place in line or having our supplies earlier, locking in a price. Uh, can the owner uh, front the cost of that and find a place to store it and pay insurance? Uh, but also, uh, are there alternative materials you can turn to that may be in greater availability and may not have gone up as much in price now? Uh, can you redesign portions of the project or phase it in differently so that you can continue working even when some key component isn't available right away. Chief Economist at AGC of America, Ken Simonson, thank you very much for your time today. We appreciate all your insights, your crystal ball, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Likewise, thanks for having me. 
If you'd like more insights from Ken, you can contact him at ken.simonson at agc.org. Coming up on the next Construction Leaders podcast presented by CMA, we will have the first CMA Emerging Leaders Group uh, join us, and they're going to talk about navigating the construction industry as a young professional. And they're going to describe their experience entering into the profession of the construction management industry uh, through the eyes of an early career professional and discuss insights into various perspectives, visions, challenges, and innovations. So make sure you download and subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media. That's at CMA underscore HQ. Uh, on behalf of CMAA, I'm Nick Soto with Carly Trout. Thank you for listening.